are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. And that's, I'm going to actually reread verse 8. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And the word sila means pause, think, meditate. Let it sink in, let it percolate. Whatever you want. Uh, they don't think the Jews probably had a word for percolate back in those days. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it would be one of those uh, synonyms, a word that means something very similar. And so one of the greatest lessons... Uh, we need to learn in our relationship with God is that God never does anything on a whim. Amen? He never does anything on a whim. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't change his mind from time to time, but that's his prerogative. So he always has a purpose that fits into his plan for our lives. We may not, we, we may not like that particular moment or that period uh, of, in God's plan for our lives, but whether we like it or not, it's irrelevant. It's going to happen, it's going to come, and it's there for an important reason. Though he always has a purpose that fits into his plans for our lives. It is one of the reasons that we need to be careful in being too quick to suggest that God doesn't know what he is doing. Now, what might be some of the indicators in our lives that could be misconstrued or could be taken or construed as Telling God he doesn't know what he's doing. Such as, God, this is not a good time. You're telling God this is not a good time because this is not what you want at this particular time of your life. God's simply saying, I don't care. It's coming into your life because I see it's very needful at this time. Or perhaps maybe uh, we might say, God, why me? And the inference here is, couldn't you have found somebody else? to trifle with or to mess with than me. So in the recent graduation of Dr. Clarence Sexton to heaven, we ask ourselves, why would God take a hard-working believer who has done so much good for the kingdom of heaven here on earth? We may see it as being untimely. And it wouldn't be the first time I've posed that question, whether it was Dr. Hiles going home to be with the Lord, Dr. Curtis Hutchin going home to be with the Lord, or the, or the, uh, the plane that... Uh, Dr. Roloff, evangelist brother Roloff, was flying and crashed, and, and he, he died in the crash. Now, we could go down all throughout, all throughout our, our present and current uh, history and ask why a bazillion times. And we question God as though we were somehow on an equal footing in reason or knowledge as to what is best or otherwise what might be best for humanity or for the believers of this time and age. But I want us to remember Job began to question God as though he was more righteous than God. Now we know that he did the thing that was right and he literally sat down and he searched his heart and he meditated to see if he could bring to, to, to remembrance anything that he might have done that would have caused God to be angry with him or for God to pour out wrath on him. And I believe the man did a diligent search because he had a good testimony. And we know that he had a good testimony because God had a good testimony about him at least twice in, in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter twice. He told us, hast thou concerted my servant Job? And he said that he was a righteous man. He was an upright man. 
He was a faithful man. Now, I believe that Job kind of knew that in his heart. Not that he was boasting or bragging on himself. But listen, you know when you're walking right with God. Amen. Uh, or you know if you could have done a, you know, handled something a lot better, a little, a little more spiritual than what you might have. And so as Job did an estimate on his life, and you can read about that in Job 38 and 39, and actually a little bit into chapter 40, where Job has questioned God, and then God begins to make some statements. Actually, let's turn to Job chapter 38, and just kind of get a flavor for what I'm talking about here tonight, if you can remember these things here. And and, uh, actually, let's go back to 38 in the very beginning. Job has already questioned, basically he's been questioning God along the way. And God says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without what? Without knowledge. Who is this that darkeneth uh, counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations? And on and on he goes, verse after verse, all the way through 38 and 39. Asking Joe, where was he? He wasn't part of, Job wasn't part of the council. The council was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he says, Job, you weren't in the council. And so, for Job to get to that particular point, to where he would question God, we jump over to uh, Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 3. Or I think we can begin in verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. And we'd be better off doing that a lot of times, wouldn't we? Putting our hands on our mouth. He said, Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And so he had learned a lesson. And God had to tutor him and said, Job, yes, you've been a good man. But you don't know all that there is to know within my counsel. Nor do you or I. Faith in God is, is, is accepting that he has a purpose in our lives for the things that he allows. And to not question his sovereignty as though he had no right. Rather, seek out how we can use our experiences to glorify him. And that's what we should be searching. First of all, okay, Lord, have I brought this on myself? What have I said or what have I done? And if we're not convicted by anything in particular... Then we have to turn around and say, Lord, how can I magnify you through this? Now, I will show you to, as we end this thing here that I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe it is wrong for people to, to sense grief or to sense sorrow or to express maybe the pain that they might be going through, either emotional pain or physical pain. I think those are important things to be communicated. But in the end, we can't let those uh, affect how we walk with God through those things. So we have looked at six steps thus far that we can use to be victorious in our troubles. Number one, we said step number one, be sure to put things in perspective. Always put things in perspective. God had to help Job see things from God's perspective. 
And step number two is be sure to rededicate your life to God. And you can be sure of one thing. Job did that. Step number three is to be sure to face your fears rather than run from God. A lot of people will literally turn around and say, listen, I, I, I go to church and I tithe and I read my Bible and I study and I meditate and I have a devotions and I do all these things here and I serve the Lord there. But boy, I said, it just doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. It seems like I'm always in this valley fighting this battle or one battle after another in the valley down there. Uh, don't run from God during that time. That's the time you need him more than any other time in your life. And then step number four is be sure to take your own advice. If you would give others counsel for what they might be dealing with, what they might be going through, that would include pastors who give a lot of advice, a lot of counsel to the congregation. That doesn't mean the pastor is exempt from those things. And hopefully that pastors and evangelists and missionaries would be an example of the very things they've been teaching and the very things they've been preaching. And so step number five is be determined to get back on top. Don't let this beat you down because the devil wants to beat you down. See, I told you you're a failure. I told you you couldn't handle this. Uh, you're not worth your salt. And whatever he can bring into your mind to, to, cause, to cause you to be depressed, uh, he'll try to do that. But you need to realize that, listen, I need to get back on top. Yes, I, 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 I was beginning to let my, my emotions take control, and I, now I need to get back on top spiritually and realize that whatever it is that God's teaching, I need to be able to glorify him. I need to learn. I need to take something away from this. And so step number six is be sure to remember that God can bring good out of bad. And of course, uh, he did with Job. Uh, Job was an innocent man. There was no reason that God would have uh, brought wrath or uh, uh, judgment on, on him for the way he had lived his life because he had lived his life uh, as much as a human being on earth could live, a stellar Christian life, I guess, if we wanted to use those words. And so um, God was going to use Job to prove to Satan that man could love God for just who God was. Not for what God was doing, uh, how God would bless, or how God could meet certain needs along the way, and so on there. And, and he proved, and in the end, Job had more than he had before the trials began. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, we also mentioned how Joseph, uh, he, phrased, he phrased the words, I'm sure, uh, for the lesson of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, to save as, as it is many people alive. And so what may seem bad to us right now, and I'm not talking about digging ourselves in a hole, because we can do that. We, we can bring, we can put ourselves in harm's way by stupid choices, stupid decisions, not, not going through and following through with uh, praying and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us and to counsel us and direct us through the Word of God and so on. Yeah, we, we can bring a, a, a lot of troubles in our own lives, can't we? Whether it's financial, I mean, listen, if, if you're going to abuse your body, <laughs> you look who's talking. My wife and wife was just telling me yesterday, she said, you know, if you would just, just imagine how much better you'd be if you would just get rid of all the sugar in your life, you know. So I said, I want to keep her around so I can't get rid of that sugar. So, you know, how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it, and, and it is true that uh, we, we can do our own bodies a lot of harm. Um, those who smoke. Uh, are not to be surprised if they're diagnosed with uh, throat cancer, cancer larynx, lung cancer, or if they have heart disease and they end up with, uh, I don't know, what's that, uh, COPD or something that they have here and so on, uh, and they attribute it or they have to have their feet amputated because it was cardiovascular that was impacted by that. Uh, you know, I, I have a hard time feeling sorry for people who knew what the consequences were. And yet they kept on for years and years and years, and of course we have a lot more scientific evidence today than we ever had in the past. And yet, people continue to go on as if somehow they're oblivious. It's not going to happen to me. 
And then all of a sudden, one day, they get the report from the doctor. Um, no, you pray for them, but just tell I have a hard time. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a hard time people feeling sorry for me if something ha happens with my sugar because, you know, if I'm not going to uh, control it, I think I'm doing a little bit better, but not a whole lot better. Uh, but, you know, it's, I mean, I do that when you know that there are consequences to these things along the way. And so... Um, but th these are things like with Job. Job was innocent and God was using him to prove a point. And with uh, Joseph, God was preparing him for a position that would save probably most of the Mediterranean, North Africa, alive during, during the, that, that famine that was going to come up on all the world. And so we have to realize that those things which God brings into our lives that are not uh, chastisements, I should say, then we've got to learn to hang on to those things. And even chastisements for that, we have to admit it. We did deserve the chastening of the Lord. And then we've got to get back on top of that as well and make sure that we do the thing that's right so God can deliver us. And so tonight, step number seven, be sure to use your hurts to help others. And we see that there again in verse eight. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So when we find ourselves dealing, uh, having to deal with life's difficulties, whether financial, health, or relational troubles, we tend to feel as though one has, uh, one has, uh, as though no one has ever had to deal with these issues in the past, and that's not true, because we know from Ecclesiastes that, that there isn't anything that that, that that we're going to go through today that somebody else hasn't gone through in one way or another. So David is now beginning to address or turn his hurt to those who are around him, and he was warned equally as well. He was warned and simply said that, listen, if you continue on with this grief and this sorrow, uh, knowing that there were men who put their lives on the line to protect you and to protect your throne, uh, they're going to desert you. And so he needed that sharp rebuke so he could get turned around. And he did just that. So those around him have witnessed his son's betrayal and his closest advisor as well. And I'm sure they felt great agony. Now, Kings had a special relationship with the people. And David, for the most part, was a good king. He was a very beneficial king to the people of Israel. It wasn't like he was, uh, he was a nasty man or a nasty king or, or anything of that nature there. And so uh, there were people who loved him. And those who, who served him very closely really loved David a lot. And so when he hurt, I believe they felt to some degree the hurt that he had. And it seems like the Middle Easterners, no matter, you know, if, if, if someone dies, and uh, I mean, it seems like they all just went into this deep, deep, deep emotional response to all those things. It just, I know it's just a Middle Eastern thing, whether it's a Muslim or whether it's a, uh, a Jew or otherwise here, they just seem to have this. They just throw themselves right into the mourning aspect of a lot of things when it comes down to it. But initially, there is a great deal of hurt and grief in David's heart. I mean, would you not be uh, when our sons or our daughters walk away from the Lord, when our sons and our daughters do things that are not contrary to what they were raised or what they were taught uh, in their lives, then it grieves us, doesn't it? And, and we, we feel a, a certain pain in here. And sometimes we ask, why, where did we fail? And sometimes you didn't fail at all. The failure was on their part to accept and receive uh, what, what had been displayed or what had been evident uh, in your life as a parent before them. So will David allow this to determine how he will spend the rest of his life, the sorrow, the grief that he was going through? Was that, was that going to uh, be the thing that uh, uh, he was known for as, as a grieving king, a king of sorrow? Will this change in his uh, will this change his relationship and his sentiments concerning God? I think that's a, that's a very important question. 
we have to be prepared to, to ask ourselves so that we're prepared when something comes along is if I'm going to go through something terrible, is it going to affect me and my testimony concerning my relationship with the Lord? Because sometimes God allows us to go through things so that we can be a witness in a way that no one else could. You know, again, you've heard me say it often that when we're on a mountaintop and we're praising God and everything's going our way, we just got a promotion, we just got a raise. It just seems like we got that blue bird on our shoulder, it's the sun is shining, and we're just having a good old time in life. Uh, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves down in the valley. And when people see a difference in the mountaintop and the valley experience, and there's a marked difference there, then they begin to question, okay, so you have really just basically a God of good feelings. You don't have a God that is with you in the valley. And they need to know and understand that the God on the mountaintop is the same God in the valley. And the same walk, the same relationship with the God on the mountaintop is the same walk we need to have in the valley. And when they see that, and I've actually used this in a funeral for Bob Charlton, I said, listen, you know, I, I knew Bob and the suffering he went through because he had uh, prostate cancer that, that had already metastasized by the time uh, they discovered it. And it metastasized into his bones, and that's very painful. Bone cancer is very painful. And uh, there was times when he was on the floor, on his hands and knees, just beating the floor because of the pain. And, uh, I mean, that, that's not easy to watch, that's for sure. But uh, I actually mentioned it right in the funeral. I said, you know, you may have been able to question Bob's faith on the mountaintop, but when you saw him in the valley and he never cursed God once, I said, you can't argue with that kind of faith. You can't argue with that kind of faith. And so it's true. They need to be able to see that our, our, our faith is a consistent faith. Our walk with God and our love for God doesn't change because the day has changed. If anything, it should increase our love and our, and our walk with God. So will this experience increase his confidence and renew his purpose in the Lord? So we have one or two ways to go, either up or go down, one or the other, when we find ourselves in those situations. So unfortunately for many, professing believers tend to be disgruntled or angry with God when things don't go the way they want or feel that they deserve that they should go. They turn on God and they become bitter. And I've seen that happen. I've seen churches go through problems and people get bitter. They get angry with God. They turn around. They walk away from God. They're done. I'm finished. I'm, I'm all over. Or they refuse to attend church, to pray, to read their Bibles, etc. because God hasn't been kind to them the way they feel they deserve to be. God, God does. Listen, if God does nothing more than save us, we've already gotten more than we deserve. Period. And so faith in God comes easy when we're on the mountaintop and have experienced a victory. Fair weather Christians are plentiful, amen? Fair weather Christians are plentiful. They're the ones who look out the window and say, oh, it's cold out there, I'm going to stay in here, and I'm not going to go to church today. Or they look out the window and they say, no, or look at their skills, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to be my uh, Fair weather Christians are those who seem to be able to put off their Christian responsibilities or discharge them or refuse to do them anymore because of some event in their lives. So fair weather Christians are plentiful, but... Uh, Battle-proven, battle-tested Christians are worth their weight in gold, uh, as in the hymn, Rejoice in the Lord, states in the chorus. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, he makes no mistakes. He, end, he knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. That's the purpose of the trials, amen. That's the purpose of the, uh, the temptations. Or as Job realized and penned, and I'm sure where they got the uh, lyrics from the song, in Job 23 and verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And that's what God is looking. He's looking for golden Christians. Men and women who have been battle-tested, battle-proven, and who are stronger and not weaker. Who are, who are more responsive than indifferent. 
because of what they're going through. So in reality, there are those who look to us as redeemed of the Lord and how we handle life's difficulties. We've been watched. State people know it worked if you're a Christian. Some of you other folks are out there in the public. I know when Peg was wearing they, they knew that she was a Christian. And I'm sure the same is for so many others and, and Carrie as well. When you go out there, the, the people know you're a Christian. Your employers know it. Uh, probably isn't very long before sometimes those patients, I don't know you can't preach to the patients or preach to those people out that way, but you can enter into conversations one way or another. And it's probably not very long before people begin to realize there's something special, something unique about you, and that you are, that, that you are a Christian along the way. And so, um, in reality, uh, there are those who, 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 who look to us as redeemed of the Lord and how we handle life difficulty. The more we make things about ourselves, the less effective our lives will be about God. And why me, Lord? Well, this is not a good time, Lord. That makes what you're going through all about you and not about the Lord. Yeah, you're involved, no doubt about it. But let's say, okay, God, huh, you know what you're doing? I'm going to put my seatbelt on. We're going to go on through this. We're going to go on this ride together along the way there. And so... Uh, it isn't that we don't have needs. We certainly do. But when we place our trust in God and we seize the difficulty or the difficulties as an opportunity to magnify God, he will supply our need and he is not only glorified, uh, but, but those around us are drawn to him. John 15 verse 16 tells us about how we, are, we can impact uh, those around us there in uh, uh, he says there, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye, that ye should go forth and uh, that, you go, that, you go, that you should go and bring forth fruit. And uh, then he ends that verse where he simply says that, um, I think what it is, it's off the blank, about how you need to, God's going to use others to meet your needs. Those that you have been faithful to the Lord in front of and you're able to lead them to the Lord and you're bringing forth fruit, that is those who, who may question, how can you be like this? How, 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 can you manage, how can you get through these things? How can you deal with these problems? How can you deal with these situations and still have joy in your heart? I see you suffering, and, and, and I know it's got to be painful for you, but you seem to still have the joy of the Lord. And you have an opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And it's amazing when you share the gospel, whether you're sick or not, even not sick, or whether you're going through problems or not through problems. Uh, those are individuals who God can, can touch and, and reach out and to meet needs that you have when you're going through those difficult times along the way. And so, uh, so again, why, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Sometimes it's for correction to bring us back on track. Easy to get off track. I've been down that road, gotten off track along the way there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, is about, uh, about uh, uh, receiving the chastisement. And uh, that when God chastens us, he chases us for our own good. And then uh, number two is other times it is to strengthen us, thereby enabling us to become stronger. How many of you ever watched uh, Forged in Fire? And it was it was kind of a, a sitcom where these were real iron workers. Uh, they made uh, you know blacksmiths, I guess you know, and they uh, forge an iron. They have these uh, ovens there, and they have metals there. And, and the challenge is to use whatever metals are available to be able to make swords that or knives or swords, weapons that would survive three tests at the end. And so they would take metals and they would run them through the through the heat. 
and then they would beat them into shapes and then heat them again. The whole idea was that sometimes they would have to take metal and fold metal on metal and, and meld them together into one piece, and then they would uh, they would uh, uh, heat them to a point where they would uh, try to think what it is when you put them in the then you put them in the oil. What do they call that? Quench. Hmm? Quench. Quench it. Thank you. They would quench. They would quench that cherry red and that would Im immediately change the composition of the carbons and, and how they work so that they could actually take those and they could whack through seemingly impossible things uh, as long as they had a sharp edge on them. And so the idea is here that God is forging us to become the kind of men and women that he needs for us to be, to be able to reach the world around us. And in order to do that, he has to strengthen us. We have to be annealed, if you will, along the way. And thirdly, in other times, it's about using us to help those around us who are experiencing or will experience what we are going through. Now, you know, I've gone through things in my life I'd rather not have gone through. I'd rather not gone through three weeks in the hospital with ruptured appendix. And, you know, I'd rather not. But um, at least I understand what people go through. Uh, I'd rather not gone through prostate cancer, but now I understand what people go through. Now, some people's cancer are a lot worse. But nonetheless, we've had several people in our church who have gone through different kinds of cancer. And it hasn't been easy, necessarily. I consider what I went through pretty easy, from what most of them have gone through. But, you know, we can come alongside of each other. We can help. We can help. And so how can I... I can have sympathy for others, but now I can go one step further and have empathy. I know what it's like to go through surgery. I know what it's like to have an NG, NG tubes. I know what it's like to have to take me, me, pain medication. I know what it's like to be in a hospital bed for three weeks on end. Uh, and the recovery period afterwards when you come out uh, and, and uh, go home. And so the idea is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll close if we get over here to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 1. And so this is one of the one of the understandings that we need to be aware of when we're going through anything that we're going through. Marital problems, child problems, if you will, work problems, health problems, financial problems. And uh, Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 3, he said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. He's always there. He's always ready to meet your emotional and your spiritual needs and whatever other needs that he deems necessary. But he said, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble." by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. As so we don't allow God to walk us and to work us through the difficulties in our lives, we can't be much of a help to somebody else. Oh, I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm going to pray for you, sister. But it's different. You come alongside, you know, I've walked through this valley. I've been in this dark tunnel. And let me share with you how God was my light all the way through that. What a difference that is. And so the point isn't that we pretend there is no pain or stress in our difficulties. 
but it is how we handle our relationship with God through our difficulties that matters most or matters greatly. So let's be sure to use our hurts, our pain, and our difficulties to honor God and so that we can be equipped to help others in the process. Amen? Amen. No one should have ever told you that the Christian life is always going to be an easy one. But it is a great one. And in the end, it will be the most satisfying. And it's the one that has the greatest dividends along the way. Amen? Our God is a great God. All right, if you didn't get a prayer card there, raise your hand and Jack will make sure you get one. All right. Uh, Peggy and Isabel, you want to take group number one together? Jack and Chris, group number two. Group number two. Whoop, I don't have a group number two. Every once in a while, my printer skips the last one. And I did add on there uh, Temple Baptist and um, Paul Reese is uh, Chris's uh, brother. Pray, continue to pray for him. Um, so then, Karen and Connie, would you take the pregnancies? Diane, would you mind getting with uh, Carrie? And praying for the spiritual needs and growth. And uh, Chris and Michelle, would you do the salvations? And Steve, uh, Isabel, I didn't get you, did I? Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Okay, so it looks like Steve, you and I are going to do missionaries in a month. And staff and pastors, we're going to cover up the rest of it. Okay. Did I forget anybody along the way? All right.